Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Beam Voice podcast. My name is Petro Conduraro, and today I have the pleasure to talk with a certified BIM instructor at BSI and the BIM consultant. Welcome, Stefan Sell. Hello, uh, Petro. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. It's so nice to have you here. Let's start by introducing yourself a little. My background originally is in construction. I have been a uh, general contractor for about 14 years in the United States. And that is important because I have went through and I made so many mistakes and noticed mistakes in the construction industry. So uh, being in the field and uh, playing with my own money, obviously as a general contractor, I was responsible selling the projects, designing the projects and uh, make sure everybody uh, gets a paycheck. Uh, you learn a lot. And you learn a lot about the needs of the construction industry to digitize. So that was a a great experience for me. So I look at uh, BIM in general from an angle of uh, how it's helpful for the construction industry, where it's needed, what are the parts and pieces that are missing, and so on. And about uh, four to six years ago, I started a BIM consulting project. I went to London and uh, took the courses uh, available uh, that were available given by BSI. And I've got certified in uh, as an instructor also. And so um, I work currently as um, an instructor and a, a consultant. But I also studied physics for about two years in Canada uh, before uh, everything, but uh, kind of uh, construction attracted me back to, um, to this field. And I'm very, very excited about this uh, new opportunities that are opening up with digitization of the industry and um, hoping to spread the word so that people understand how important it is and how helpful it is to really understand what's going on and uh, how to... Uh, and massage the uh, information out there for your own needs as a company or a, a business. I see. Have you stopped working with uh, as a general contractor uh, for good, or you you completely switched to to cons- BIM consultancy? I, if I have a very interesting project, then I will take it. Um, I'm a very modernist designer. I did only um, residential projects, uh, very minimalist modern projects. So if there's a very exciting project that comes up, I just finished a, a, a house about a year ago, which included the design and 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 the construction of it. Um, and so I do occasional jobs, but uh, if they are interesting only. Okay, I understand. So it was not, we are not talking uh, about a very big company, right? We are talking about a small company, uh, probably uh, my projects are uh, around a million, million and a half dollars in US dollars, residential projects. But uh, it's very interesting how many problems and uh, difficulties you see <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as construction and, 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 and waste of money and time uh, that is concerned. Yeah. You know, this is uh, this is interesting because, yeah, it's definitely um, interesting to listen to someone uh, with experience on the smaller scale uh, projects, because so far we talk mostly about very big projects and such, but we forget that actually there are thousands and thousands of smaller projects around us happening or going on every day, right? And I don't think we approach this 
topic too much. Like, how do you use Beam there? But before I ask you, how do we use Beam there? What is Beam or building information modeling to you? Well, um, let me add a little bit to uh, also the history of what I do because I, I, I left something out. I started modeling uh, for uh, law firms. So there are these huge lawsuits in the commercial construction in the United States. And I have some really good figures about how much money is wasted on lawsuits. So I build models for, um, for court proceedings. I am a very meticulous, very precise person. So I build these models uh, to be able to convey the design intent and what went wrong. And so I got a lot of experience in commercial construction when something goes wrong or when everything goes wrong. Uh, we have done several uh, uh, major projects. And what was interesting is that uh, some of these projects that have been in courts for four or five years, 10 years sometimes, they settle within uh, 60 days if you show up with a model that every, anybody can understand. So what happened is that usually in court, you have like, uh, you know, up to 10 lawyers, uh, very expensive lawyers, and they have uh, 2,000 uh, pages of documents, and they show up with a, a 600 page of 2D drawings, and you lose the jury within 15 minutes. They are not going to follow you. They are going to be at, uh, not interested. But when you show up with a three-dimensional model and they can see it on the screen and you do a virtual tour and you walk in and walk out and, and, and show the, the, the shelf angle and how the brick was uh, supposed to be installed, you get their attention. And I just wanted to mention this because, first of all, I got a lot of experience when everything goes wrong in construction. Second of all is I realized what a powerful tool it is to use models to convey information complex, very complex information, lots of information. In five, 10 minutes, you can explain by showing a model in a virtual environment. So that's the point I was trying to, to make. Now, to answer your question, what is BIM? Well, um, BIM is uh, defined uh, by as many people as you talk to. <laughs> there's always a short answer and there's a long answer. So the short answer is uh, BIM is a process. It's a, it's, it's a way of working. It's not an object or a physical entity. So that's a very short uh, version of it. Now, if you'd like a long version, if you have time for it, I'll give you a better definition, which I like much better. Of course, of course. So I would say that uh, BIM is a uh, collaborative, and the word is collaborative, production, management, and dissemination of information. We are all parties involved um, on a project use a, a 3D uh, application tool, whatever that is, and um, to produce the uh, graphical information and other information like scheduling, cost plans, performance requirements, program sustainability uh, information, operational maintenance is also included um, and it's stored in a common data environment, right? So that everybody that needs to can have the correct information, just the right inf uh, amount of information in the right format at the right time. All right, so that's my definition of BIM. What utopia are you talking about? <laughs> Let's come back to, to reality. <laughs> Is this happening? Do you know any specific, do you have at least one example of a project where, where it started planned this way? 
Well, uh, I know of parts, parts of, of the whole process that have been done well. And um, that's what I'm working on very hard is to spread the word and try to show people. So that's why I'm so happy to be on your podcast is that hopefully someone will pick up some of the ideas uh, and understand the importance of digitization because it's, it's tremendous. I mean, if, first of all, uh, the uh, construction industry worldwide is about uh, $11 trillion, all right? This was in 2019. Uh, by 2025, uh, the estimates for 14 trillion. So we're talking about US dollars that are huge amount. Now in, in the United States, we have about 11% of the uh, 10 to 14% actually the uh, total global uh, expenditures on, on construction. And that uh, translates to $1.32 billion. And um, statistically has been shown that 35 cents of every dollar is wasted in construction. 35 cents? Of every single dollar oh my God. is wasted. So if we just, just I'm, a, I'm, I'm a number guy, right? I understand numbers and it's easy for me to convey, you know. So the waste in the construction industry worldwide is unbelievable. The amount of money we waste in the United States is 10 times more than architects and engineers are paid to design these projects. And it's all wasted, it's gone forever. And so this is why uh, it's a huge, it's the biggest industry in the world. And we haven't talked about asset management yet. The assets in the, assets in the world are, again, another big number. If, if, if we look at a 2015 report I have, in China, we have $45 trillion worth of assets. In the US is the second one, which is 35 trillion. Japan is the third one that's 15 trillion US dollars. So we are talking about managing assets that are the biggest cost to a GDP of a country. And so uh, it's a very important industry. It affects everybody's life. Everybody's, every minute you are affected by uh, construction. And so um, it's very, very important to um, look ahead and to understand some of the uh, concepts that are so important to make it much better than it is. That's so true. If we go back to, to the 3D models for the cases, for, for the disputes. Did you say a number about how, how much money are wasted in, in these uh, disputes yearly? Do you have any idea about that? Well, uh, the cost of it, uh, I have uh, some data from the World Economic Forum. And um, worldwide, we spend uh, globally about $870 billion on losses. Okay. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the U.S. is, uh, is uh, you know, we just sue each other so quickly, yeah. so fast. We are very good at that. <laughs> In the U.S., we, we, we spend about $306 billion on losses. Imagine how much money is that instead of, you know, wasting it and having these disputes put back into profit, put back into savings, build new bridges, so on and so forth. And... And uh, very interestingly, uh, the um, lawsuits and the litigation has a lot more consequences than just money. It really destroys relationships. It has uh, uh, billions of dollars worth of consequences in terms of relationships, in terms of working together, 
um, how it affects a company's uh, mood and atmosphere. So it does a lot more damage than, than just the money that we pay out uh, each year for settling lawsuits. And most of the time, it's a very simple problem that went wrong that could have been solved 100% at a certain stage of the project. So that's why it's kind of important to look at these figures. I mean, I have some more data for you about the construction industry. Uh, the construction industry is one of the worst in the world in terms of performance. Like in, uh, from 1996 to 2006, the cost of new construction went up by 60% compared to other industries that went up only 30%. So the cost of construction going up twice as much Again, uh, from 1964 to 2000, the productivity of the construction industry fell by 25%. And if you look at other industries, it increased by 225%. Let's look at manufacturing, automobile manufacturing, any kind of manufacturing. It's unbelievable the progress they've have made. And the construction industry is worse than in, in 1964 in terms of productivity, because they have lots of new materials, lots of new stuff that we have to do. So that's why productivity falls because we can keep up with it. And, and for this uh, problem in the construction industry, there's one simple reason. Everything, all the problems can be traced back to one single thing. And that is the high cost of information transfer. This is the only cause uh, the problems in, in the construction industry. Meaning that we lose a lot of information by giving for example, an architect knows exactly what he would like to do. He has an image in his head, but he has to communicate it with 2D drawings. So half of the information is lost by the time somebody reads that uh, drawing, right? They interpret it the wrong way. So this is what I mean by high cost of information transfer, that there are so many people involved in the construction industry and there's so much information lost. Uh, there's a statistics, well-known statistic, that 40% of time of people is spent on looking for information. So instead of doing work, they are looking and interpreting information. 40% of time is spent on looking for information. So again, it comes back to why we are so inefficient, why we need to digitize, why we need to communicate, and so on and so forth. Yeah, then we have another aspect to this. There are very many businesses built exactly around this way the things are going. There are so many businesses that would just disappear if things would have been done in a better way, more efficient way, you know. And then you go and ask, why don't we want to move quicker, faster, to better ways of working? It's so easy to say, yeah, we have like, why is the construction industry not so uh, efficient? Yeah, it's so easy. Like, it's easy to blame, right? Like, the, it's because of the supply chain. You don't have control. And of course, if, if you go in each chain, nobody wants actually to do something. But the, what, is, what is baffling me, <laughs> what I cannot understand, like, the biggest loser here is definitely the customer, the owner. Because he's Absolutely. paying, he's paying for this, and he's losing most of his money. I still cannot comprehend why they don't require for better, for better information. But yeah, it's just so much into this. They need to know better, right? 
And where do they learn from? From us, from consultants, right? And from contractors. But if we don't genuinely, like if you, if if we, if we must choose from selling our businesses or from uh, making a decision based on uh, ethical, only ethical, what usually we we used to do? We we adhere to the letter of business of the company, right? We can, this is this is the rule. We must assure profits, right? I, I'm not blaming anybody here. I'm part of the process as well. But I think like it's very important until this is not coming from inside, it's very difficult to change anything. Yes, it's a really difficult problem. And there are many reasons for that, though. The uh, construction industry doesn't have a very good reputation, right? If you're a general contractor, uh, your parents are not very proud of you, right? Because <laughs> general contractors are not known as very straightforward people. Um, so um, what we want to try to do with the BIM process and with the digitization is attract lots of young talent. Right now, to work in a construction industry is not a very hip thing to do. So lots of brilliant young people are going different fields, right? So hopefully, uh, we are going to be able to change that reputation so that lots of talented people will come in and they will make the changes, right? Um, because uh, the history of working construction is very uh, segmented and, and everybody's isolated. And I'll give you what I've produced and it's your responsibility to make sure it works. I mean, that, that doesn't work that way in real life. And I think that a lot more change will come by pressures from other industries than within the construction industry. And if we have a little bit of time later on, I will um, get into a little bit more of what I mean by that. You can go on right now. Oh, okay. So um, let's, uh, for example, let's look at um, Apple, for example, right? Um, Apple came in and changed the music industry totally. I mean, you cannot buy a CD in a store anymore, right? You remember the days when you bought for 1995 a CD? Well, it doesn't exist anymore, right? How smart would that be to do it today when you have it so easy accessible on all your devices? Totally, <laughs> totally changed. Um, there were beautiful shopping malls and little stores and big stores and Amazon came in and took care of business. It just bankrupted everybody. 80% of the commerce is online now, right? So. The digitization is coming so powerfully in every industry that in the construction industry, it's not going to be within, but it's outside forces that will push the construction industry to start changing. Because, uh, look, um, we love our digital life, right? We'll just love it, right? So, for example, uh, and it cannot be mandated. Well, I just let, let me tell you a little bit. Uh, the, in the UK, they mandated uh, BIM Level 2 by 2016, and it, it created some great results. And I'm a very, very big fan of what they have done. They've done the standards. They have put together uh, lots of information, um, and uh, it's, there's a lots of knowledge in, uh, that came from that mandate. In the United States, there's no way that anything can be mandated. It has to be organic. It has to come from down, right? Because here in the United States, we do not accept any kind of government mandate or anybody can, you know, we cannot even agree on, on wearing a face mask and everybody gets the same disease. So imagine mandate. 
So, but look, look at it. Let me give you an example. For example, if the government would have mandated uh, a decade ago that everybody has to carry a transponder uh, in your pocket so we know where you are, we would have revolted, right? <laughs> we would have been yelling like crazy and burned down a few uh, towns and uh, cars, right? But it happened. We did it to ourselves. We carried the iPhone in our pocket. <laughs> they know exactly where we are, what we are talking about, the emails, right? The texts, the web browsing, our financial transaction, the credit history, the uh, even your underpants size is known digitally because you order it, right? Not only that, we even pay a thousand dollars to buy a transponder so the government can follow us everywhere, right? So if it's mandated, it doesn't work, but we will do it to ourselves because we love digital life. So this digital train, just let's look at a train, it's coming at a fast pace, right? And there are three things you can do. Get hit by the train, step out of the way of the train, or get on the train. These are the three options for construction companies, right? So you must, you must think very seriously and carefully what you want to do in terms of future processes within your company, if you are a CEO or, or whoever you are, because it is coming, it's not stoppable. How long is it going to take? I can't answer the question, but uh, two things are very important. I think it's going to come from outside forces and it's coming and you have to get on the train if you want to survive. Yeah, and uh, regarding outside forces, is not only the these technologies that doesn't have a direct impact in this, but there are many companies trying to do something in the building industry, in construction industry, right? Uh, like you said, Amazon, right? They bought a prefab uh, company or something. So I think... And every, everybody, every big company has in mind IoT and everything, how, how this can be used with the houses and everything, right? We have Google, Alexa, and uh, there is this network of uh, Google devices in your house for smart house, right? So we, we go towards there, but the building process is still not happening anything. Like you said, that would be interesting. I'm trying to to iterate something through my mind what can be uh, what can be something like i see a trend you know like you said about raising awareness not only awareness but interest like becoming that uh, hip uh, industry to to attract uh, young talent right so i've seen like in norway at least i've seen uh, i think i read today about a project yeah they they are they are using people with gaming background to build some tools so you have the projects as a game so that's interesting because who who doesn't game today the uh, under 20 or un under 30 who isn't playing a game it most of people are exposed to this right and if you find that skill that you can offer that at work for someone for a youngster of course he's going to be interested to, to do something like that, right? Absolutely. And the other aspect of it, I'm so glad that you mentioned this, the other aspect of it, imagine how much information you learn about the construction by playing. You don't even notice it, and you know by heart what you have to do. For example, um, there have been some statistics that five minutes of, of a three-dimensional model will transfer you as much information as two hours of reading, right? 
because looking at uh, page number 406 in uh, mechanical drawings and how it relates to the structural drawing on page number 225, by the time you flip the page, you, under, you forget what you, what you were looking for. And this is why it's so wasteful construction. Now, if they have a game where you just play a game and you can visualize and, and in 3D, obviously, and, um, and you can um, get all this information that's a thousand pages within a short period of time, how efficient is that? How amazing is that? For example, there have been projects in England where um, in virtual reality environment, a crane operator where the space was really tight, he learned everything seven months before the construction happened. Every single panel he picked up with his crane and put it up on the building because all the surrounding buildings and roads were digitized. He had to learn how to turn with each panel. And he memorized six, seven months before the construction started how to build that concrete panel building. That's also similar to the game that you were talking about, is to learn. to, to, to. So yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It, there's so many interesting things are coming up that it's, it's a wonderful uh, century to live in, you and I, who are interested in this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're not too far away from that. Uh, I remember a little bit more about this. It was actually about a bridge. Uh, they did this game because it's a bridge that is supposed to lift up, to open, so the boats are going to cross to, through the space, right? So they built this game to simulate this, how they drive the boats and how everything, the, to figure out the best workflow or something. So yeah, it's, it's, this has been made by the Norwegian Public Road Administration. So yeah, the, uh, the authorities here are very uh, aware about and they try to, to, to push everything forward. So yeah, I, I'm lucky to live here and um, to be a part of, uh, see what's happening and uh, yeah, everything what's happening around me. Yes, European countries are uh, interestingly uh, so much more ahead of the game. Um, we're looking at some uh, uh, information and I, I believe in the US, we are about five to seven years behind what you guys are doing in Europe. The US was a pioneer in BIM. Uh, it, it, they did a lots of good work in, 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 early, in the early days, you know, in, in 2003, four, you know, uh, good stuff. Lots of published uh, information by uh, University of Pennsylvania and some other document. But then the US stopped at Revit and clash detections. So if you ask any company in the US, do you do BIM? Oh, of course we do BIM, but, you know. So what does that mean? Well, we use the Revit model. Well, that's not BIM. That's just a three-dimensional model. <laughs> and so, um, yes, you guys are lucky in a sense that um, you, you, you are much uh, more ahead of the game. Yeah, you know, uh, United States is like half Europe, uh, like uh, pop by population. So. There are so many states, right? It's like um, states like there are like countries here. Norway, it's very small country, uh, around five million, five million people living here. So it's really it's really interesting and nice to see that most of the people want to to develop the the entire nation, you know, and that's why they try to push it always uh, forward and to adopt better technologies. And but yeah, it's still a work to be done here as well. Uh, but uh, it's very nice to see not only startups uh, interested in doing this, but seeing the uh, the national uh, companies, the state companies 
doing their part. So I don't know how, like from the United States, from the guests I had so far, I've seen like DLR group, they have like, they are very advanced from what I learned from, from uh, the guests I had so far. They, they are really invested into this, but I guess when you look at the entire landscape and when you look to regulators, because there is the gatekeepers, right? Yes. Like, it's it's a push that needs to be made from, from somewhere. But like you said, eventually it will happen naturally. Because, yeah. Well, what happens is that really, um, well, first of all, let's talk about the fact that does it work? Um, there were studies uh, done like, uh, studies like Avanti. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the study. I know, I, I know the name. I don't know where to get it from. In Europe, a couple of projects have been um, constructed with as much as possible uh, uh, BIM coordination that was available. And what was noticed? 25% savings in construction costs. 25% savings in construction costs. And 40% savings in construction time. I mean, that's huge for owners. Um, the same uh, statistics show that uh, the uh, RFI, which is request for information, which is, which is like kills everybody, is reduced by 70% if the project is designed in a collaborative manner in a common data environment. By seven, RFIs are reduced by 70%. And if they occur, the cost of RFIs is reduced by 52%. Wow. Change orders are reduced by 45%. And, and what's interesting that also subcontractor bids are lower because imagine giving a 500 uh, uh, sheet uh, drawing to a mechanical uh, contractor. He's going to charge you for his time to look over the drawings, right? He's going to find a bunch of inconsistencies. He's going to miss a lot of inconsistencies, but he's going to build in 20% just for mistakes of his time, right? So he's going to hand over a $2 million bid for his job, right? To make sure he's not going to lose money. Yeah. But if he collaborates when the project is designed and he's familiar that all the clashes have been taken care of, he knows because he saw that his work is going to be flawless. Nobody's going to stay in his way. He's going to give you a lower bid because his profit is guaranteed. He has no issues with downtime. He has no issues with rework. So that's where this 25% savings on a whole construction uh, comes from, by the reduction of MEP uh, RFIs, by, um, by the cost of RFIs, by, by um, uh, subcontractor bits, and et cetera. So these have been shown, studies shown that BIM does work very well. Yeah, I, I, I have no doubt about that. And uh, it's also the challenge is like for for the the ones who know about this, they understand, they see the value, they do the work. But because we have we need so many parts in the process across the supply chain, that's that's the real challenge to convince. Like it's a little bit tiring to to try to prove it to everybody. To why should they try it? I for, from my point of view, at least in Norway. I think we passed that that part. I I I think we reached a point where we don't need to explain why BIM is needed. Like everybody understands, 
mostly yes. and maybe there are still customers that they might uh, want to know more why should they try to because i still think customers or asset owners asset managers still a little bit behind even though they can benefit most about this Absolutely. I mean, uh, we have talked about design and construction uh, so far uh, of all the savings that can be done and all the money that could be saved. But the biggest part of the savings is asset management. It has been shown that 30%, you can cut the management of assets by 30% wow. by having the right data to manage it. Now, this data has to be collected at the right time in the briefing stage, in the design phase, in the construction phase. This data has to be collected and managed properly so that the facility management software can manage the facility properly. But you can cut as much as 30%. And, and we're talking about a decade or five decades or 100 years for the facility. Right? Exactly, exactly. So that's where the big savings come from, not from the construction, which is in the billions. Now. You see, uh, BSI um, uh, designed seven courses. These are seven courses that uh, are part of the, the standards. And the uh, number one course is uh, the strategic understanding. And this is, it's the name of the course. And this is designed for asset owners and asset managers to educate them what kind of questions should they ask? What kind of information should they require before hiring a company to do a project. And in the United States, uh, the National uh, Building Sciences, uh, uh, they uh, also published in 2017 a, a standard for, uh, for asset owners and, and, and building owners. So the first thing is that uh, owners have to demand. And I don't think the awareness is out there as much as it should be. Yeah, of course, like you said, I, I still think this is a problem, the education, the lack of education and the, the uh, awareness that they need not only to go to a course or something, they really need to do this, like establish a BIM strategy across the organization, how they are going to approach this, how they are going to implement this and how they are going to use this on specific projects. This is, this is definitely something that we, we will talk about in five years, maybe, maybe earlier. Maybe later, I don't know, but we will, like it's going to be the, the norm. Like it's, it's obvious, this is the way. Like it cannot be in a different way. I don't see it. Owners have to understand why they need the information. Now, if they don't know how to demand it and how to phrase it, they can always hire a third party that will help them figure out all the information requirements that everybody needs to produce and manage through the design, construction and, and handover phase. So they can get help, but they have to understand the importance of getting the information. Uh, for example, Kobe is one of the courses that uh, the BSI teaches. It's how to hand over information at the end of a project, construction of the project, right? To be useful for the asset managers and the, and the owners of the building. So there's this language where you can extract this manageable data from every stage of the construction and design phase to use it for asset management. And it's called COBE, which is um, um, a term that uh, has been developed here in the United States like many decades ago. And the US Army is using it and, uh, and uh, NASA is using it. And it's a very nice tool to uh, 
be able to extract this information. Now, most architects and engineers don't use, they handle the information, right? Like structural information, data about equipment and stuff like that, but they don't extract it for the use of the owner. No. And it's a waste of money and talent to do that. Completely agree. So this is this is tremendously important. People have a, a good general, and I, you see, I'm not really big fan of standardizing and demanding things because I I grew up in a socialist country where everything was uh, <laughs> demanded and and asked. So there are many people, uh, academics in the in the BIM uh, research that uh, they are not very big fan of standards. But what I like about the standards is that it's they give you, uh, the different courses give an overview of how you should think about the process, right? Like, for example, if you want to be a structural engineer, you can go online and start reading everything that's out, uh, that, uh, that's there available online. It would take you 20 years and you will be, never become an engineer. But it's useful to go to university where the courses are designed for you. You know what you have to study. The knowledge is built upon previous knowledge. You graduate, you become a, a structural engineer, and then you can do all the research you want, but there's a structure of how to become an engineer. So that's what the standards help people understand. What, is the, what are the processes? What is the language that is used in the BIM world and so on? Yeah. Regarding the, the challenges we, we face in our industry, like the courses because you are a tutor instructor right yes if we take for example the it industry if you want to learn something if you want to learn python if you want to learn java everything you can find a lot of resources what do you think about the access to information in our industry well there's a lots of uh, information that's available the only problem is how do you digest that information because there's so much nonsense out there that is not BIM at all, but it's called BIM, that if you don't know what you're looking for and you don't know how to make a judgment call, you can go in 1,500 different places, directions, and you never really understand the concepts that the digitization means to the construction industry. So, I'm a big fan of all this information being available, but you have to look at it in a somehow in a structured way so you can really understand the process because this is a process. This is not something like learning a computer language and then your imagination will take you of what you want to write in terms of software because you know the language. This is a process. You have to work with human beings, hundreds and thousands of human beings on a construction project, right? So it's a totally different field that need to be influenced than just uh, writing programs. Something uh, regarding standards, because with standards, it's good and bad. Like, it's good we have a structure for a specialist to use, but at the same time, sometimes maybe that is a, a limit to some of us will refer to. Like, I, I know how to do this thing better, but I must do this because the standard is telling me to do this, right? So you know what I mean? So this can be a downside of standards. Another one regarding the pricing, I don't think there is a, any difference in the pricing for bigger companies and smaller companies. I think it's quite expensive for smaller practices. Like 
Take for an example an architect or a, a single engineer or something. Like it's different than when you have access through the, all the companies. Do you have, is there any way to have cheaper access to the standards? Because me, for, for, for example, myself, I'm a solo consultancy, right? I would like, I have planned to buy all the BIM standards, the 9650, all the 1 to 5 or 7 or what it is, right? But you come up to a, like over $150 each, you sum up some, some good percentage of my pay, monthly pay, right? So is there any smarter way? Uh, is there any kind of cheaper subscription or something? Or there is no difference for uh, individuals to companies or something? I'm asking this because I don't know. So this is, <laughs> this is not a trap question. Well, the first question you, you raised up, uh, you raised, uh, was about uh, the standards might limit the, the way you work. So let me answer that question first. Um, while the older standards have been written in such a way that there is no suggested software of any kind, when we teach these courses, we are staying totally away about talking about any kind of software because the, the standards wanted the market to build and work out the best solutions to produce information and to manage it. The standards are about how to manage this information, how to think about what information you need in different uh, cases or your case of the project. So it's, it's, it's a way of helping you think about your project in an organized to fashion and way, but it does not demand to use any platform or any software. So that's all open. The second part of the question is, yes, the standards are quite expensive. And if you take the classes, uh, they are probably $1,000 a day or so, right? Um, so it's a judgment call what, uh, that you have to make. Uh, but in case of an architectural firm that you just mentioned, the first case of that, the savings that you get in efficiency by applying these principles are unbelievable. There's another statistics for you that I have uh, that architects produce about 25% more information that is actually needed with all kinds of pages of, of sections and elevations that, you know. So that's one days of work a week, right? So what I'm saying is that if you start thinking smart about your work and be more efficient, that $1,000 or that $200 for the standard itself, the expense is evaporates right away because you start applying it, you know more, and so on. So that's, that's kind of how I would look at it if, uh, from my point of view. I see, but still then uh, it's much easier than for bigger companies. Uh, I'm thinking from this point of view, right? Like from my point of view, it should be a little bit more accessible for individuals. Like, yeah, you, you cannot compare like, it's just too cheap for the bigger companies that have enough money and the, the smaller companies. Well, one way of doing it is uh, get together six uh, people that are interested and then there's a discount uh, for the courses. Um, if you get six people together and you can take this online or even BSI comes to your company and uh, gives the courses uh, on, on site. So you don't have the expenses of travel and whatnot. So there are some accommodations that can be made. But uh, regarding, like, are there any portals where can you have access to more standards, for example, or you need to buy each of these in particular? Like if you want to acquire 
a PDF or a specific standard? Well, this is the only uh, way I know is to go online and register. If you're a member of, of the BSI team, then you get uh, some kind of 30, 40% discount when you buy in several of them. So I, I can't uh, really um, help with or tell you any other way to get them. But um, what I'd like to really mention is that um, the uh, information that you get out of them, and if you apply this information, it's really helpful in terms of understanding information management. And, and what's one, one other interesting thing that standards help you is that you are talking about how Norway works, right? Well, if I say that in the United States, I'm doing BIM, how would you be able to assess where the Norway company is compared to me, right? If we work by the same standards, we have a common language, right? And this way we can assess how good we are at what we do because we, we basically, see, um, BSI started in 1902, I believe when they wrote the first standards. And you know what was all about? The distance between the, the railroad tracks. Uh, five different railroad tracks have been uh, uh, built in London, but the distance was different. So one train couldn't go to the other side of London. <laughs> so that, that was the first standard, right? The distance between the railroad has to be the same if you want the train to move, right? So <laughs> this is a basic, basic situation. Yeah. So when I buy a brick, right? People cannot come up uh, with different brick sizes. I won't be able to build a wall. Every brick that is the same type has to be the same size, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> in some way, uh, standardization is unbelievable. Now also, uh, BSA has a great reputation in terms of certification. So for example, if you build a building in, uh, in Norway and you, have, you get a kite mark certification from BSI, that means that you did, for example, BIM level two or stage two through the whole process of, of, of doing that building. An owner will be able to understand and verify that you actually have done what you promised because there is certification from BSI. BSI has a great reputation and it's accepted in like 194 countries that they are working in. So for example, it's like a Bentley sticker or a Porsche sticker on your car, right? it comes with a certain reputation, a certain quality, right? Or a Ferrari, which is known for speed, right? So how else would I be able to judge a construction project unless it can be verified and can be certified? So some kind of process has to be in place for that. Yeah. So that's also very helpful in terms of, of standards and, um, and verifications and certifications. I see. But um, for example, how is, uh, like in Norway, I don't think, I don't think there, there, there is another company that has the standards. It's called Standard Norge or Norway, right? So I don't know. They must have a, a partnership with BSI. Oh, absolutely. What happened is 14 countries got together. I'm not sure if Norway was in it or not, but 14 countries, European countries got together and they agreed on, on these standards, right? Took them years. Imagine what a task that was. Yeah. And right now about 40 to 50 countries worldwide adopted these standards. So in the European Union, used to be a French version, a German version and so on and so forth. 
uh, but uh, since the uh, 1960s standards came in, um, there is a, a kind of internationalized version of the standard. It's not British anymore. Yeah. And 40 countries adopted it. So this is available in most European Union countries and uh, quite a few countries around the world. What else can we done? What should we do more to get closer to your ideal version of BIM? Well, I would love to, I would love to see a project that uh, from the beginning to the end is, is done according to every single detail that is based on available technology and information that we have, right? I haven't seen one, so I would love to see that. So what should we do? I think uh, these standards and BIM courses in general should be part of an architectural degree. I really believe that. So the new people uh, start thinking in a different way in terms of collaboration, in terms of sharing information. And one of the principles of the standards is the reuse of the information, right? So it once has been worked out, reuse it, share it, use it many times, use it all. That's where the cost savings are coming in, right? So I think uh, architects should not get a degree until they finished uh, <laughs> some kind of BIM courses because they are really in the United States, they are in charge of, of mostly of the whole process, right? Wow. And so that would be a great start. Uh, podcasts like you're doing are great. Thank you. And um, I believe that, I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, BSI came out with a practitioner and a professional degree that individuals can get, not just a Kitemart certification that is for companies or buildings. Mm-hmm. So you can take these courses at BSI, you do a bunch of exams, and then you become a, a practitioner. And then with experience after three years or show evidence that you have practiced it for three years, and an interview, you become a professional BIM, accredited by BSI, BIM professional, right? So now if I want to hire somebody and they have this degree, I know exactly what they have studied and what they have passed. Right. Yeah. So again, this standardizes the knowledge. Uh, right now in the United States, there are over 3,000 BIM jobs uh, opening uh, that people want to hire, right? But when you want to tr- hire somebody, you don't know what they, what they think about BIM or what, what do they, you know. But if you get this uh, uh, professional kind of uh, training, for example, from BSI, uh, I am guaranteed that you have passed the exams, you have the experience, and we speak the same language. So then I'm willing to hire anybody and you can get a good job because you know how to handle information. And I have confidence in their certifications. Yeah, yes, indeed. And uh, to, uh, to add something to this, uh, regarding the Kobe, I, I think Building Smart has also now they. St- they was supposed to start in the summer to start certifications for Kobe. What do you think about Building Smart? Are they existent in the US? Yes, yes. Uh, there's a lots of good information if you go on their website. And um, well, Kobe was invented here in the United States. Uh, you can uh, take classes at uh, uh, Florida University where the inventor, Bill East, Bill East is the guy who invented Kobe. Uh, he's the uh, one who is teaching uh, the, the uh, courses and you can get certified again. 
um, in that. Um, so there's lots of good information out in the United States and lots of good opportunities uh, to really get your foot wet and uh, be efficient at uh, information management because really the, this digitization is is a miracle if you use it right and if it's a burden, if, if you just uh, do it as an extra thing to just look good or your company to look good. Yeah. I was thinking uh, this is something randomly, but I remember I read to something about, you know, Tecla, Tecla structures oh, uh, sure. from Trimble, right? Yes. I think they are uh, in Europe. I don't know if it's around the globe. Uh, there is uh, this uh, award for uh, the most advanced uh, build project uh, with BIM. And uh, I know there is a, they managed to build the first bridge in Norway without drawings, which is, uh, is uh, in this competition. So yeah, that looks, looks really interesting. It was quite big bridge with the longest span of around 200 meters. So yeah, we have more uh, commercial projects from before, built it without drawings. And uh, now they done this bridge and uh, there are more projects i know about another yeah uh, tunnel a railroad with the tunnel and uh, everything there uh, bridge as well where they don't uh, won't use uh, drawings as well so we get closer and closer to this there's a company in ireland or they did projects in ireland it's called bam b-a-m they have uh, digital uh, construction sites, which is paperless, totally paperless construction sites. And, um, and uh, contractors welcome it. The contractors love BIM because their work is so much easier. easier. They just love it. Suppliers love it. It's no problem. In the United States, the problem is the architects and engineers. They are the head of the, of the, of the, really? of the whole process. And they just pushing back like crazy. I'm not sure what the contractual or liability problems are uh, at, at the heart of the resistance, but contractors in the U.S. love it. That's uh, it. Should be like it's much easier to have your phone than some papers around you. And if you have a model, you can extract thousands and thousands of sections and elevations that you don't have to design and print out. Exactly. You can measure an infinite amount of measurements from a 3D model. It's accurate. It's all there. So the information available and, and how you're, you interact with this information through a, an app, it's, it's just fantastic compared to bringing a huge drawing that is being blown away by the wind and your coffee spills on it and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. And um, yeah, regarding the contractors, uh, they are use, starting using more things, more advanced technologies like drones and robots to scan. And yeah, they, they are uh, getting ahead. But the DLR that you mentioned before, they're using drones and they measure the amount, for example, uh, uh, amount of concrete that was poured. Uh, they checked exactly. There's a 4D BIM, which is the schedule when something should be completed and the drone measures that has been completed and that's how they get paid. The paycheck comes after the drone checks it. It's, it's fantastic. They also developed a robot where uh, the software has the layout of all the walls and this robot is just marks every corner and every wall on every floor quickly 
very precisely run by software. So yes, uh, absolutely, there is a fantastic use of, of parts and pieces of, of the technology that's out there. Yeah, sooner rather than later, we'll, we'll, we'll see it more and more in our lives, definitely, in our profession, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Are there any other advices do you have for anyone interested to learn more about BIM? Well, we have talked about how much information is out there. We have talked about going to to get this information to a standardized way. If you if you that's that's what you choose. But I think the 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 most important thing is to think about how to make the construction industry a better place to be. And really, I get a good understanding of the importance of digitization and information management. And if you take that in into your heart and soul, the rest is going to come easily. We have still people die every day on construction sites. This is the only industry that ha has the highest suicide rate in the world. So there's a lot of, of, of work has to be done to really make it a much better place to be. And I would just suggest to everyone to look into the potentials of what digitization provides and the solutions that it provides to, to solve all these problems. And I think there's a lot to be excited about for the future. Yes, definitely. Otherwise, we'll just be spectators. We'll just watch how someone else overtakes everything. So, Well, let me give an example. If you ever had an Apple product, uh, you get an iPhone or an iPad or a whatever product. It comes in a really beautiful box, right? It's a pleasure to open it. Yeah. It's so exciting to charge it. Everything fits perfectly. It has the right white color. It's beautiful. It's nice to touch it, right? Then when you start it uh, on, right, and turn it on, it's so easy to interact with the apps and easy to use. Now imagine if Apple will ever design and gets into construction. They're going to kill everybody <laughs> because they are going to be efficient. You get good quality. So yes. If somebody gets into the same level as Apple products, the construction industry is going to be totally different. Yeah. And one of these companies might do it. And they will crush everybody else. Yeah, it's going to be interested how, how to, I think the, the key to success here is to eliminate as much, as many as possible uh, links in the supply chain or join them together. Because unless you find the synergy there like even with regulators you need to lift like i don't know at least this is how i see it right now i see this as a very big challenge but uh, but we still don't have the regulations uh, adapted to the way data uh, or data or information is used nowadays so yes that's that's that <laughs> oh yeah and as far as supply chain is concerned, we could do a lot of uh, offsite uh, prefabrication. It's very efficient. Uh, things that have been done in, in four months uh, before, people are doing it in three weeks now or a month. I completely agree with that. But it's a problem because, uh, and I know this because I worked for around half a year for a formwork company that was uh, renting formwork. And uh, I was designing formwork systems for projects. Uh, at least in Norway, there is not, it's a very, very long ordering time. It's a very long, you, you don't find under one year or something like that. It was very big. And this was for two years ago. I don't know if that improved. 
Uh, and I uh, another problem regarding this. I don't know how environmental friendly it is. So, but I I completely agree with the fact that it's much more efficient. It gives you more room and better time to plan, and better quality of work. Of course, it's under under environment that is uh, there is no rain, no sun. It's air conditioned, so the product itself is much better. Yeah and people are safer to do the work yeah. and have been shown that for example in in the united states you do lots of uh, framing with lumber right 60 percent of the dimensional lumber is saved by doing it off-site in a controlled environment so there is a lots of savings in terms of being lean and it's good for the environment to do uh, off-site fabrication and um, so i hope uh, i hope people will catch on to it yeah yeah definitely there are advantages and disadvantages of course always and uh yeah it's it's important to to focus on what is best uh but at the same time like i don't know uh here if you need to wait one year yeah yeah that doesn't work uh that might be a problem because what happens if something gets uh delayed or something right so but yeah, maybe that's local. And, and then you have the specifically projects, right? Where you just cannot have prefab. You need, you have very diverse forms that you need to cast in place. You, you cannot replace it, of course, but as like, it's a form, it's a form of uh, modularizing. Yes. And, uh, make it uh, yeah easier from the source. You, you have much more control over the process. I completely understand that. How can someone get in contact with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, so I think I'm the only one with the weird family name that I have, so it's kind of easy to find it. Why? Why it's weird? Why do you say it's weird? Where, where is original from? It's a Hungarian name. Okay, so we are neighbors. <laughs> we well, were neighbors. I'm from Romania, by the way. I am from Romania too, but I was born as a Hungarian in Romania. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that was unexpected. So I I speak Romanian because I went to school in Romanian for eight years. <laughs> I was thinking that your name is uh, sounds very Romanian, like Stefan. Yes. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I think I asked you a question in Romania and you did not answer. You answered something else, and I I, I did not insisted more to that. <laughs> oh. Sorry, but no, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I had the, this feeling, a very familiar feeling, for a very, <laughs> since, since since we start talking. So yeah, that's why now I understand it. Yeah, uh, well, uh, Stefan, uh, or as, how do you say it in Hungarian? It's Stefan. It's Stefan. Uh, well, Stefan. Uh, uh, my name is uh, there's a Hungarian version to my name, but uh, since I was born in Romania. Yeah. Um, they have, uh, we had to write it down as Stefan. So I'm Stefan. So yeah. Stefan. Okay. It was really nice to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I wish you the best with your podcast. Doing a great job. Thank you. And um, success. Thank you very much.